0: joy, I'm telling you. You know, I couldn't be much of a father without this lady here <laughs> in so many ways. And so um, Kay has a unique ability to see through the clouds uh, and subterfuge, the floatsam and jetsam of life in people, to bring uh, truth that explodes the lie. And, uh, and so I, I'm always amazed when I hear her speak uh, of how much uh, I get blessed by listening to her. And, uh, and that has happened since day one of our ministry. I remember in Arkansas, in a little two-, three-bedroom house that we had, she would have a Bible study and teach, and I am going, wait a minute, I, I would take pages and pages of notes, and, and I, could, I said, I've got ten sermons ready to go out of what she just said, because there is an anointing there. So I'd like for you to receive her as that, as one who brings an anointing for understanding and clarity. So she's a great mom, let me just tell you that. She's a wonderful wife. But also, uh, in this context, the broader body of Christ, she is truly a mother in the Lord. So uh, Kay, why don't you take it first, and I'll I'll come up in a little bit.
1: Well, isn't it wonderful how God puts us together? That we are not to accomplish any of the things in our life by ourselves. (coughs) But he puts us in places where... Uh, sometimes we'd like to do it by ourselves because then we don't have to deal with other people, right? But he doesn't, that's not what delights his heart. What delights his heart is for us to come together. You know, because we serve a triune God. They are always working together, always for the same purposes, but, but distinct. And that's the way it is in the kingdom. We are distinct in the things that he is, is working among us, but also one. And so, as an opportunity for this morning, I really just felt like the Lord was stirring something up inside of me Um, as we're looking at at parenting. And some of you go, Well, I've either finished parenting, or maybe I'm not going to do it, or it doesn't really have anything to do with me. And so, I will say to you that that is not really true. Wherever you are, whatever your configuration is, you are called by God to be a son and a daughter first, and that always remains, but you are also called to become a father and a mother, whether it's biological or not, the design of you, the design of you by God, because he is a what? He is the father, and if you are made in his image, then what are you going to be? we are going to express the father heart and the mother heart of God. Because men cannot fully represent the Lord, nor can women fully represent the Lord. You will remember the story about the rib, right? The full representation was all in one, but then he took them apart. Full representation comes as we come back together. So um, the thing that I wanted us to talk about really first is the nature of our Father. And I'm not going to take an hour and, and begin to touch on the full nature of God, because I don't even know the full nature of God. Amen. Any of you think you do, you're, you're mistaken. So one aspect of what the nature of God, and so if you want to look in Romans 4.17 real quickly, And this is the verse that talks about that God calls those things that be not as though they are. I just wanted you to look at it in your Bible to make sure that you didn't think I was inventing something, okay? This says something really interesting about our Father. Our Father doesn't come in and go, well, Kay, you look like you've lost your temper five times today, and you are just a mess, and what the heck are you doing? How many of us can look at ourselves in the mirror, or preferably look at other people, and explain to them what's wrong with them? Can all of y'all do that? How many of you can walk into a white carpet in a house that is just beautiful, and the first thing that you'll notice is there's this little stain over here? Right? You don't notice the 99 percent, you notice the stain. Our Father is not blind, but when he looks at us, interestingly enough, he does not look at us that way. He looks at us pure. He looks at us the way he's designed us. Some of us don't even know yet how he's designed us. We just have a longing in our heart for something beyond what we know ourselves to be. But the Father says he calls those things that be not as though they are. Now, does that mean he's just a dreamer and he's just optimistic? Do you ever have people say something really nice to you that really is, is good, but you just go, they're just being nice? They do that? Yeah, that would be nice if that were true, but it's not. They're either being fake or they're just trying to be encouraging even though it's not true. When the Father calls things about you, he is not being nice. He's not just trying to comfort you. He never speaks anything but the truth. So when he calls something up in you, he is speaking not something just to comfort you. He's speaking the truth because he sees the design. There are books in heaven that have your design in them. He knows what that is. So he calls those things that be not as though they are. So when we're talking about parenting, we're talking about uh, working with children or raising up disciples in the Lord who are our sons and daughters, we are talking about becoming like the Father in that we call those things that be not as though they are. It grieves my heart when I'm in a store somewhere and I hear, hear a mother or a father with a little child say, you are so stupid, get out of that. What's wrong with you? You're always trouble." Some of us might have experienced that very thing. We were being called to be something because of some situation. The Father, I want you to picture Jesus standing in that situation. What is he saying? He's saying to that little child, I designed you for destiny and glory. I've called you to be a, one who, who heals troubles. I've called you to be intelligent and brilliant. Now, does he ignore the things that need to be shaped? Of course he doesn't. But as parents, are we calling what we see in front of us all the time? Or are we calling their destiny, their design? Many times we've been through things. Our son went through this whole thing where, you know, he, he had a scholarship and then he lost it because he was goofing off. And for a long time, he had a lot of trouble with something, a belief system that began to hit his heart. I've messed that up and now the rest of my life is not going to work out right. And he started looking at just settling for this kind of a job or just settling for that Because in his heart, he had made a judgment on himself, and he had believed that more than he believed what God said. And I want us to look at, um, let's let's just go ahead and look at 1 Timothy 1.18. Because here is something fabulous. Paul is talking to Timothy, his son in the Lord, and he says, this charge I commit to you, my son Timothy. He's not saying my servant. He's not saying my disciple. He's saying my son. According to the, does anybody know what the next word is? According to the, have you found it? Somebody's got it. Prophecies. What is a prophecy? It's a word the Lord's speaking, isn't it? So it's another one of those design words. This charge I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before you in order that you might war a good warfare by them. How many of us have received some kind of prophetic words? You know, maybe it didn't come out sounding like a prophetic, but you knew it was. Right? We use the prophetic word of God to warfare for our children. When this thing happened with joshua and he was he was like well, maybe i just should go in the navy you know I, things aren't working out and and his his dad in his brilliant and wonderful wisdom said i think we've got a prophetic word you know we keep all the prophetic words for our kids so we sent him up there to get the book out joshua spent an hour in the prophetic words about himself and he came back and go that's not what i'm supposed to do god has something different for there was a warfare. There's a warfare for your kids. There's a warfare for you. There's a warfare for your grandchildren. The prophetic word is part of your warfare. So, as we begin to speak these words, then we see the example of Gideon. And I'm not going to read the story, but it's in Judges 6. How many of you know the story of Gideon? All right? How many of you have been a Gideon? All right, if you haven't, When I tell you the story, you'll go, well, yeah, I have. Um, Gideon is in a bad place because they've been dominated. The children of Israel being dominated by this other nation, and they're having to do things like get down in a hole and thresh their wheat so that the enemy won't come and steal it. So this is all about fear. This is all about trying to stay away from the sight of the enemy. And he's in there doing that, and suddenly this, like, gigantic, really big angel shows up and says, hi, Gideon, mighty man of war. Mighty mighty man. And Gideon, all right, this happens to you, and and the Lord says that to you, and you go, why, yes, I am that mighty warrior, yes. (laughs) Well, of course. No, you don't. You're like me. You go, who are you talking to? And the angel's, I'm talking to you. God was calling what did not appear to be It's true. You may be in a hole. You may be threshing out wheat because you're afraid. But the Lord is sending someone to say, you're a mighty warrior. Come up. And, of course, Gideon had to go through some stuff to kind of get that all settled in his heart. But today, I want you to understand, wherever you are, if you're in the hole or if you're trying to climb out of it, the Lord's calling to you. Father spoke to his son Gideon, not what he was. He didn't go, well, dang. Son, what are you doing down in the hole? Are you acting on fear again? You're just so fearful. You're just a mess. I was hoping I'd have a son that could do something, but guess not. Right? Right? Now, how many of us, you don't, don't raise your hands, how many of us have ever kind of felt that way about one of our offspring or, or somebody we know? You know it's like, <laughs> right? But see, that's never the heart of the Lord. No matter how stupid we are, no matter how many failures we manage to do, the Father never comes and goes, quack, quack, quack. You're so stupid. If, you, if anybody can ever come to me and say, I've heard the Lord tell me that, I would be extraordinarily surprised. You say it to yourself. The Father says, look at you, right down there in that, that threshing, net, right down in that hole. You know what I'm going to do? I have a great idea. I'm going to call you up to be the leader of a war, warfare. Ha ha, this is going to be great. There's some of you in this room right now that you think you're the least among the clans of Israel. That's what Gideon said. I'm the least in the clan of the clans that are in Israel. I'm from the worst neighborhood there is. Y'all have a neighborhood somewhere that y'all refer to, right? Well, at least we're not from there, right? You do. I know you do. (laughs) And it's different in different areas because you might be from the one that's that's that, that neighborhood, but you've got another one. He's always somebody worse, right? (laughs) You know? So here we are. We all do that. But that's what he's saying. He said, you don't need to pick me. You don't need to choose me because, duh, I'm the least of the least. Let me give you a list of those really prospects, you know, the big prospects. You know? Send Todd, you know? Gosh, he's this big, giant man of God. Go send him. And, And the Lord's like, well, he is, but that's not who I'm sending on this mission. It's you, Gideon. Mighty man of God, down there. But what I love about Gideon is though he had a little time of working through believing that, he chose to believe it. And then God did that fun thing where he only sends 300, you know, to go defeat the mighty armies. It's like, and Gideon, watch this. You Think I'm taking you as a small? Look, I'm going to send small because I'm a mighty God. I don't need a whole bunch of people, and I don't need you to be all that great. How many of y'all feel like you need to get a lot more great to be something for God? Raise your hand. (laughs) Because we all do. But we don't. He takes the clay and makes it what he wants. Power is from him. Uh, I just wanted to remind you, um, how many of y'all have seen the movie The Help? seen that? Well, of course, we live in the South, so of course, we're going to see the help. Because that's part of the un- some of the good things and some of the bad things of our history. What I love is the woman that it's about. She's the maid. But you know what? She's the powerhouse, because she's the one speaking to this little girl who is being treated as if she's not so great by her parents. But this woman knows the truth. She knows how to operate in it. What does she do that's so powerful? She speaks to this child every day. You are smart. You are, you are important. You're beautiful. Now, this little girl has had all this stuff coming, but every day she's hearing a voice smart, you're beautiful, you're important, you're valuable, wow. You are sitting in a place of great influence and power, as a parent, as a friend, in any of your relationships. My mom got a hold of these truths. And we would be walking through the grocery store and she would hear somebody say, Oh, my gosh, I'm just so stupid. Why did I do that? She would stop. She was really gentle, not like me. And she she would just go up in the sweetest, kindest way and say, Honey, is that what you want to call into being? Do you really want to call yourself into being stupid? And the woman's going, Who is this person? (laughs) But you know what? You could see it go in. And then mom would say, honey, God designed you to be very intelligent. I want you to think about calling the design of God up in your children. Agree. Can, how many of you were Christians, and we do not agree with the devil, correct? So don't agree with the devil. But somehow, out of our mouth can come very words that agree with the devil for ourselves, for our children, for other people. I don't know why you act like that. You always act like that, and you're just never going to change. Does God say that? No. So, as we begin to learn more and more of these principles, we had opportunity to repent more and more and it's okay if you have to repent 15 times a day that's all right it takes a while to change habits doesn't it but the calling of the Lord is upon you today and I'm telling you the I felt the power of the anointing I don't even know why some of you are here some of you might belong here some of you might not but the Lord said that the people in this room that he is putting an anointing on to carry the life of his family out affect everybody in your family and those around you. And he's saying, today I have called you an assault team. All right, Gideon, what you going to do? You're going to say, well, that was a nice word. Or are you going to go, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to declare and call forth the destiny of God. Brother Todd Ta was talking about, the destiny of God. He is calling it up. Can you feel it? Can you feel him stirring it? He's stirring it up in you. He's stirring it up in you so you can stir it up in others around you. Don't speak in agreement with the enemy. Declare those things that you can't see yet as though they already are. God already declared his children saved and delivered and walking with him and reigning with him. He's already declared that. He is not going, oh, I don't know if they'll make it. No. He's already declared it. Yeah. All we, get, we just step into it. Okay, one more thing before I turn it over to Mr. Coons. The Lord gave me this, this word and a vision while we were in worship, and he said, I'm sending them out into the, the battle, but the battle's already been won. And he showed me a picture like this, you know, these giant battlegrounds. You've all seen them. You've all seen the Civil War battlegrounds. But you can picture them littered with bodies. Littered with bodies. And once the battle was over and the, the ones who won would go in, what would they do? I mean, they're going to you know, deal with the bodies, but what are they going to also do? What do they do in a battleground? You get the spoils, you could get all the valuable stuff. You go rifling through everything, and find all the things that are valuable. The Lord's sending us out into a, a battle that's already been won. And he said, go get the spoils. Now, what are the spoils in the, in the spiritual realm? It's not going to be, you know, the coins in some poor soldier's pocket, right? It's not going to be the, the cannons they left behind. It's going to be, The people. The enemy is the demonic forces. And what's going to be left of the souls of men and women? Go get them. Go get them. Well, I don't know how to do that. Call those things that be not as though they are. I'm really good at this. I'm excellent at it. I'm great at raising my kids and declaring the, the destiny of God over my children. I'm wonderful at it. The words just flow out of my mouth. When the enemy words come up, I go, I recognize that, and I speak against it, and I declare the truth of that. This is one of the most simple yet most powerful things you will ever do. Every one of our kids heard words over them that declared who they are in Christ Jesus, what they're going to be, what their abilities are going to be. And you know what? They just lived right on up to it. Why? Because they're special? No. Because the Father had put his heart in us to share with them, and it worked. So I want to encourage you. I want to pray over you right now. Lord, I just thank you, the anointing, the power of your own self, your presence, who you are in every one of these people, Lord God, Lord, I thank you. They're opening up their hearts to you to turn around and begin to call forth, just like their Abba Father, those things that be not as though they are, declaring the destiny of God in their own lives, but also in the lives of their children, in their family, and those around them. And we thank you for it, Lord. We just, just raise your hands and say, Thank you, Lord, I'm receiving it. Amen. Thank you, Lord, I'm receiving it. I am who you say I am. I'm the father or mother that you want me to be. I receive it. I receive it. I thank you, Lord. All the stuff from the past, I just let it go. I renounce it. Repent. <laughs> repentance doesn't take forever. Thank you, Lord. I repent. I repent. Right? Some of y'all do think repentance takes forever. No. All right, repentance does not take forever. Just, just say, I repent. I'm, I'm turning away. And my mouth is going to become the vehicle of calling forth the truth of God and the destiny of God everywhere around me, even in the mirror, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.
0: Thank you. Wow. Wow. I'm telling what did I say? What did I tell you about listening to Kay? Do you feel a bit, little bit inspired and, and equipped? I do every time I listen to her, and that's every, ta- every day of the week, let me just tell you. Some people uh, say, well, I wish I had a prophet somewhere in my life. I go, I got one I, I wake up to every single day. It's just amazing. But, but uh, you know, <laughs> that's true. An apostle, an epistle, and, and a prophet, you know, we've got it all going. Our, um, you know, our life has been one that has been uh, wrestled away from uh, death and darkness and put into the light because of the of the spirit of the Lord and um, quite frankly the revelation of the Holy Spirit and what He says to us. It's the proceeding word that we build our life with. What God calls us up out of darkness with is not just this written word, but the Revealed Word of God. Yeah, and I was just, I was just thinking uh, I got a Cajun background. My mom or my dad actually, his mom was full blood Cajun, and uh, she barely spoke English, but spoke a lot of French. And uh, I was just thinking when she was saying that, I said, Mm, that's good, yeah." You know, I was just thinking of how the fra- they would have phrased that. Mm, that's good, yeah." You need to you need just to know something about what is what is eternal, and what is temporal, okay? The eternal is that which that gives you that, uh, that gnawing on the inside that tells you there's more, there's more, there's life. It's a convicting, not a condemnation. Yeah. So if you find that whatever you heard Kay or me say in this seminar is, is doing something inside of you, make sure it's filled with hope, not with hopelessness. Hopelessness is condemnation. Hope is conviction because in conviction, Holy Spirit stands with you and walks you through and he calls you up into your destiny. And he brings you into your destiny and he walks with you the entire way. If you feel alone and you feel you know, like you've just, just lost it you've failed, that is not the Lord shaking his finger at you. Let me just tell you, that would, that's the enemy. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how old your older children are. There's redemption because everything we see and do is redemptive. And if it's not redemptive, it's not of the Lord. Amen? So uh, I want to uh, just reiterate what Kay is saying about Gideon. Uh, here he is down in the uh, uh, under the ground in, in a um, wine vat or a wine press. And he's thrashing out the wheat. And he's saying to himself, where is the God of Israel? He had just heard a great sermon, by the way. Said he had heard a great sermon. A preacher had come to their area, and he started talking about God's deliverance of uh, children of Israel, uh, Israel, delivered them out of Egypt, and all the great miracles. He listed all the miracles, and he was going, "Yeah, what about that? Why not us? Why not us? And where are you, God? Where are you ever feel like that? You know, you you hear us talk about the great things of God and everything, but what he was doing down there, he was meditating, threshing out the wheat." when it says wheat by the way when it says anything about a seed it's talking about God's word he was throwing it up against the wall and he was he was speaking it and he was talking about it and all of a sudden an angel of the lord shows up I wonder why It's because he wanted to know the truth is this the truth is God's word the truth and God loves it when you throw that word up against the wall and, and def- just Make a draft from it. And you make a demand of that word. When you're working the word, when you're knocking the, the chaff off of it, when you're, when you're getting down to the bottom of it, when you seek it with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the word of God begins to speak to you, and that's called rhema. Amen. And it's rhema that faith rises to. Every one of you been given a measure of faith. You've got exactly the same kind of faith that I have. Same amount. The same amount of faith. You're born with it. It's faith to receive the rhema that God presents to you. Every one of you. And so you're no different than Elijah. In fact, it says in James, in uh, chapter 5, that Elijah was a man just like you you and me. He's a man of like passions, It said in the King James Version. That he put his pants on every day just like you do, okay? Everything about him was exactly the same. He had the same equipment... Same promise, everything was same to him, but there was something different. What was it? He believed God's word. He acted on God's word. He sought the face of the Lord. He went with the promises of God, and his worldview became the view of the kingdom. And he did miracle after miracle after miracle, after miracle after miracle, and he led Israel into a time of a golden age. It is an amazing, amazing story. But we have to look at those things and understand it wasn't by accident; it was by design. Every one of you are called into a destiny, and God has sent His angel, and He's looking. And angel means messenger, by the way. Angel means messenger of God, and it says He looked over into the hole and He said, "Hello, mighty man of valor," just like Kay was saying. And that's that. That is not, had nothing to do with who who he thought himself to be. Gideon had no idea he was a man of valor. He's hiding under the ground. He's down there because he doesn't want the Midianites to steal his wheat. And here he is asking God to show him, and an angel shows up. And he calls him up into his destiny. A parent, a mom and dad, part of your whole reason for being, is to call your children up into their destiny. Speak life over them. This is what Kay is saying. Speak what God is saying. Call those things that are not as though they are. Don't call those things that are as though they are, because they are as though they are. You call those things that are not. If you see your kid going the wrong way, that's an are not. Okay? But what God says about them is what... God desires them, like call them up into that, speak life over them. And it begins to break the chains that have been binding them. And it works, it works, it works. Turn to somebody and say, hey, that stuff works. Because it really does. I'm not lying. So I appreciate what Kay is saying about that today because it is so uh, elementary to being a parent. That really is one who will take the, take the will of God and manage their children so they, till they become what God intends for them to be. Amen? So I want you to um, uh, turn your hearts toward a little bit of something you don't want to talk about this morning. Uh, actually, nobody wants to talk about it really uh, because there are so many uh, emotions. About it, there are so many opinions about it. There's so many philosophical uh, um, debates about it, and it's about discipline, about children. <laughs> Somebody's laughing. Oh yeah! <laughs> I want you to know, the discipline. I read some scripture yesterday about God disciplines those whom He loves. Right? He chastens those whom He loves. In fact, if He doesn't chasten you, that you are you're illegitimate. You're not even a son. He corrects those whom he loves. Now, how does he correct? Oh, poor little Joey, you know, you're going to be okay. Joey. I just picked that name out of the air. Who, who knew? Me. Okay. Poor, poor little Joey, you know, you, know, you know. He's just the way he is. There's nothing we can do about it. You know? Oh, no, no, no. God grabs him by the ear. Hey, boy, listen to me. The whole reason... For correction and the discipline of the Lord is so that you might have an ear to hear him. That you would be voice controlled. That you would be controlled by the voice of the Lord that you would hear and immediately stop what you're doing to listen. And when you listen, you will turn and obey that which God has just spoken to you. And that is not a natural function of a child. In fact, it says, children, that, that mischief is bound up in the heart of a child. Oh, not my kid. Mm-mm-mm, no, not my kid. There's yes, but not mine. Not my child. Now, I've got to say that, that different children have different levels of mischief. Okay. And I had three with all different levels of mischief. And I had to learn how to discipline. Them in a way that was always instructive, but it was never the same for each each one of them, basically. Or the the amount of correction was different for each one of them. As we told you the other day, poor Katie, she, she hears it all the time because we get to preach about it. But she loved to lie. She would lie rather than tell the truth. It was just from this big. She just loved telling stories. And she was thinking, well, this is a good story. I'll just tell it, you know. And she didn't connect that with, hey, we want the truth. It was just a story that sounded really good. Let's just go with that, you know? And so every day we had to, you know, to speak to her. We would spank her, not beat her. But we spank her and said, okay, look, do you understand now what we've done it? Yeah, and she would always have this wonderful smile because we loved her. And we always embraced her and we always said, you know, the, you're the best thing since sliced bread, you know? We didn't say, you're a liar, what's wrong with you? No, that you're our kid. You're the best thing in the whole world. But we're not going to allow you to be used by the enemy so that one day you would wind up destroying your life and the life of those around you. You understand that? And so sometimes, it, uh, here's, a, here's a little example. Something, uh, as a pastor, I run into it all the time with different parents. We had neighbors next to the church. They didn't actually come to our church. But uh, they came to me one day crying and wailing and said, please help us, please help us. I said, what's wrong? He said, the DSS is going to take away our children. And I said, why in the world would they do that? I could have have listed a lot of things maybe, you know, because I watched them across the street, you know, how they were raising their kids. But I said, what in the world has happened? And they said they were at Walmart parking lot and uh, their little boy and they called him Bam Bam. I didn't know he had a name other than Bam Bam (laughs) until he was like 14. But Bam Bam got away from them. He was only about five years old, and he started running across the parking lot, dodging cars that were driving, people coming, and screeching And, ha- and finally, they caught up with him, and they, uh, the mom grabbed him up by the, by the arm and, and just wailed on him till he got back into the car. And I mean, it was—I mean, he could have been run over. I mean, it caused almost caused a wreck with people. Well, somebody in the parking lot—they didn't—they didn't notice that. This kid was about to get killed or didn't care. What they saw was that the mama was was trying to get his attention and also saying, you can't do that. Now, she wasn't being rough. I checked it out. She wasn't being uh, uh, extreme at all. She was just terrified that her child was about to get killed. And so she brought him home. DSS shows up at the door because someone in the parking lot saw her whip her child in public and guess what happened she is now considered a child abuser it took months for them fighting to keep their children I'm not saying that they were raising their children in the right way but I just want you to know that our society around us has rejected ways that God has prescribed for us to discipline our children and so we need to be careful what View that we have, what philosophy we have, because if we don't have a biblical worldview, a biblical philosophy, then we're not meeting the mark for our kids. And so I want to read some things to you first about the biblical worldview. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't want to ever assume that you anybody knows what I'm talking about ever. That that was the that was the worst uh, sin of my early days of ministry, is uh, is assumptions. And you do know what. The, the word assume how it looks is a s s u m e okay that's what it makes out of you if you do it okay now said notice how nicely i said yeah, thank you very much all right now a biblical worldview means that you choose for your child you choose the path that they should go remember that and you choose because of what the Bible says, not because of what you feel. If you choose a path for your kids because of how you feel about them, tomorrow you're going to feel different. The next day you're going to feel different from that. The next day or the next year, and your kids are going to be schizophrenic. They're going to be, have bipolar. They're going to be all kinds of things because they have no boundaries in their life. You have to set the boundaries. You have to set the boundaries for kids in their life. And if you don't, (coughs) you're asking for trouble for your family and especially for your children and your heritage and what God has given you to be responsible for. So who chooses for for my child? I choose for my child because I've chosen the biblical worldview. Or what the Bible says, and that's just the basic thing, but it's not just what the Bible says, it's what God is saying about what he said. You hear what I'm saying? Because we're all living in different ages than it was when the Bible was written. You understand? But the Bible is true throughout all these ages. It's just how we look at it in this age and in this culture. And it's just important that we get the core, the, the, the core thing about what God is saying in all of his scripture. So who chooses for my child? I do. Is there a standard that works? Yes, there's a standard that works. There are boundaries. Lying is a total, absolute No. If you think lying is cute, then you are in for deep, deep trouble in your life. When your child gets 15 or 16 or 18, and lying was cute until they got to that age, and all of a sudden, lying is criminal. It really leads to death. And if you don't correct it quickly, then what happens is you lose your child to the world around you. And those around you will be hurt, and they will be damaged. Uh, how do we do this? By do- also not only reading, studying the Word, but adopting the culture of the Word. There is, a, there is a mindset or a worldview, a culture that accompanies the Word of God. Here in this house, there's a culture of honoring God and worship, yeah. desiring the presence of God, leaving time for the presence of the Lord, praying, seeking God, loving one another, forgiving one another. That's a culture that stems from a philosophy of a biblical worldview, all right? And people desire it, but just because you desire it doesn't mean you will enter in. You only enter in when you humble yourself to say, Lord, I will seek you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because that's what it is requiring. It's required for you to seek, knock, and ask, not for you to join the club. You understand? Each one. God has no grandkids. Think in for a moment. God doesn't have any grandkids. If your mom and dad were Christians, that does not mean you are or you will be. You might have been Christianized, but those who are Christians are those who come to the Father through Jesus Christ and their own personal faith in God. Amen? So what is biblical parenting? How do we do this? Uh, There's a preparation, and it should begin when you're at home with your own parents when you were young, but that has almost been eliminated in our society today because parents, uh, divorce has really really been rampant, there's been single families, there's been double uh, need for everybody to go out of the home, to go work, there's a pursuit of things rather than a pursuit of righteousness, and so all of those things, we could name all the problems, but the answer is what we need to talk about. The answer is to return to that place where we honor God in the home and everything he says about it. That's preparation for your kids and their life. Here, how do we do it as parents? One, put off personal pursuits, personal ambitions. When you have children, they've got to come higher than your ambition. They, in fact, they need to become your ambition. Be careful, though, that you don't live your life vicariously through your children. You ever seen anybody do that? Yeah? Out in the baseball, this is where it really comes out, when you, when you, little league or bantam league, you know, or you know, the early stages of sports. <coughs> I've seen their parents, not kids, but I've seen parents out there duking it out with other parents because they did something wrong. Their kid did something wrong on the field. But they just want that, ki- that kid to do well, and they're out there, and they're going, why? Because they didn't do well in that. But they want you know, they don't want it to happen to their kid. And so they're living their life very vicariously. You ever seen a stage mom or a stage dad, you know, in theater or something like that? They, they they're living their lives through their children's ambitions and things of that nature. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this is, is putting off your personal pursuits and your personal ambitions and, and, and to the degree that the kids get what they need to have and it's not they don't need to have things they need to have you walking in faith yes. walking with the Lord they need to see it It needs to be demonstrated you can't just say it you're a hypocrite everybody say hypocrite, hypocrite. you know what a hypocrite is say it, don't do it. well a hypocrite is one who wears a mask it's a theatrical term a hypocrite is one who says one thing and looks at one, one way out of uh, with a mask on, but when you take it off, he's totally different. It's a totally different thing. It's a, it's a Greek word to tell you that it's a lie, basically. So if you are saying one thing and doing another, you're a hypocrite because you put a mask on that you were one, one thing, but we, what you really are is something else. Whoever you are in the dark is who you really are. I don't care, in other, every culture there is, in, everywhere in the world, whoever you are, when nobody's looking, that's who you really are. So, let's, you want to repent now? Okay, let's repent. And I repent of being stupid. Uh, right, you know, just say it, whatever it is. Lord, forgive me, because I have been something different before my children than what I am. Well, if you find that in the dark you're really not the, the person that you're presenting, then you need to repent and become the person That God wants you to be. How do you do that? Repentance is the first step. God will lead you the rest of the way. Pay attention. Putting off personal uh, pursuits. And the second is pay attention to your children. Listen. Always incline your ear to hear what they're saying. Don't stand up and look over them. Get down with them and listen to your children. Look at them in their eyes. And you will win their hearts. If you will get down, don't expect them to understand where you are up here. Jesus was sent to us. God was sent to us. He became a man. He came down here so that we might know him and he might know us. Jesus was sent in the manner (coughs) that we are sent also to our children. Our children are the heritage of the Lord, and he gives them to us not only care for, they're not our possession in in the sense of a thing. But they are our responsibility unto God because they belong to Him. Amen? We're stewards of our children. The third thing is pray powerful prayers. Pray powerful prayers. What is a powerful prayer? Huh? Loud prayers! No, that's not. Sorry, did I disturb somebody? You know? Uh, What is a powerful prayer? No, not loud prayers. But prayers that are biblical. The Word. Pray what God says. Pray the prophecy that has been given to your kids. Pray the revelation that you got concerning raising a child. Pray what God says about them and about you. Those are powerful prayers. I need to move on because there's a lot to do with that very little time. Now, the, there's another category here I, that you need to take care of, of parents. Uh, and I call it who's in the house? Who do you allow in your house? Who's talking to your kids? And I want you to know something. Well, you can say, well, I don't let anybody, I don't let drunks or, or murderers or child abusers or sexual perverts into my house. Well, how, how many of you got a television? Or streaming things in your uh, computer or streaming things on your phone or whatever, or, or just a telephone, even sometimes. You need to guard. A parent guards the heart and the innocence of their children. Amen? Amen? Listen, people say, well, I need to acclimate my kids to the world around them so they won't, so, so they'll know what choices to make when they get older. Are you stupid? No, don't do that. I mean, it's like. I'm going to teach my child to to swim and tie a brick around their their little legs and throw them in the deep end of the pool. Swim! Swim! You think that's going to happen? Oh, they'll try. They'll try. But it's weighted against them. Okay? Allowing children the exposure to the things of the world that just because you're not doing your job is hurting and damaging them they begin to be calloused. they begin to be tempted they begin to be full of lust and all the other things that enter in it choke the Word of God and we've got to become careful of when that is allowed I told you about my daughter when she was in the 11th grade or the, the uh, I think she was in the 10th grade and. And she said, we had homeschooled her. We, first of all, we went to a Christian school. Then we homeschooled. And then they, when they got older, I wasn't, I wasn't at all afraid to send her to public school. At all. Matter of fact, I think, I think it was great. Because you know why? It's because now she had the tools that she needed to discern good from evil. Amen. Now she needed to have all of that tempered with experience. And so she went... And she became, what, was it uh, second in her class? She got a full ride of scholarship to Catawba College, which was one of the nicest colleges around. I mean, she was ready to meet it. And each of our kids, when they were felt ready to, to meet that challenge, and we felt that they were ready, we had equipped them to know good from evil. And then they said, can we go to public school? And, and I, absolutely. And each one of them did very well in public school. It's when I've got a scholarship as well. I have to say to you that, that it's not about keeping your kids from the world as much as it is keeping your kids in Christ so that they can overcome the world. Amen? Amen? Give them the tools that they have need of. So you have to fend off the carnal worldview that comes into your house through every other medium that you have, like computers, uh, uh, whether it be a phone, or uh, a television, or any other way, whether it be printed material. Make sure what your kids are, are reading and what they're listening to, music, <coughs> has, has the, the, the right worldview that it's promoting. Until they're ready to hear something else, and they can begin to discern good from evil. Amen? So, turn off the TV. I told you yesterday, we, we didn't have a television except for 12 years. Well, Ken, you're pretty radical. You're radical. That seems radical to you, but it seems logical to God. You know why I did it? Because I'm such a good parent. You know why I did it? It's because God told me to do it, and I fought it for almost three years. <coughs> that TV set kept walking back in my house all by itself. You know, what, what's going on with that? Until finally, finally... We made a covenant together that we were going to raise our children in a different way. And so what they had was mom and dad, and those mom and dad brought in, and, the, and we had the commu- church community. We had, And I want you to know something. We brought homeless people into our house. We, we brought people who were drug addicts and, and, and helped them. And think we, they, weren't, they weren't like uh, innocent of all those things, but they got to see how we handled that, how to love people who were troubled, and they came away in good shape. Facebook, FaceTime. You need to replace it with replace those with FaceTime. F-A-C-E time, not FaceTime, but FaceTime. <laughs> Your face and their face, okay? Now, Kay, in her great wisdom, when we first walked started dating, walking together. She would say, uh, yeah, honey, would you, would you listen to me? And I said, I am listening to you. I'm driving, I'm doing this. And, you know, I'm working or whatever. I'm thinking about something. I am listening to you. What are you talking about? And she walked over to me, and this is what she did to me. Okay, I'll do it to you. And she grabbed my face. And she says, listen to me. <laughs> I said, oh, yay. She said, and she made me understand something. Unless my eyes... Or on on her eyes, I'm not really listening. Listen to me. I want you to know something. Communication, listening has a lot more to do uh, with with the eyes than it does with the ear. It is literally a soul-to-soul communication. You need that kind of communication with your children. They need to see your eyes and see your love when you're telling them something difficult and hard. It's really important. Amen? Again, we're going to move on down to another category. Uh, I like the 3D approach to parenting. I showed a little bit about it yesterday. Discipleship, direction, and demonstration. The three-dimensional approach to raising children. And that is discipleship, direction, demonstration. I gave you a lot of scriptures about that yesterday. Another one is goal setting for a parent. To help your children set goals in their life. But you do that by potty training them. That's where you first begin. Because that's where you have something else coming into play that's outside of just basic body functions. Okay? Like hugging and changing diapers or something like that. What are you going to do? first thing the kids are going to learn outside of just playing and gooing and cooing and all the other things and pooping, and, you know, that the first thing they're going to do is you want them to take care of themselves. And so you potty train them. And how long does it take to potty train a child? I know. Until it's done. Okay? Until it's done. Until they can do the paperwork. You hear what I'm saying? Until they can do the paperwork. Yes, hallelujah. Now, when that happens, diapers tend to disappear. And little clothes and nice things begin to appear. But what happens is your child is beginning to learn to take care of themselves and have a mind of their own that is shaped by you. All right, this is really an important aspect. Again... From potty training to property training. All their life, they need to understand that they are going to have the responsibility that's greater than themselves and they're going to have to have the tools in order to have it. You need to teach them how to praise God. You need to teach them how to love people. You need to teach them how to share. You've got to teach them how to forgive. You've got to teach them these things because it's not natural at all. 3D parenting. I want to share with you about a couple of, or three people who didn't do such a good job in the Bible. See, the Bible doesn't give you just all the things to do. It really reminds you of things you shouldn't do. Amen? Now, three of the, of the great heroes of the Bible, or the three great uh, figures of the Bible, not necessarily heroes, one of them is not a hero, but you know him because of, uh, the Bible spends a lot of time on him. But it, and, and This is going to be in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel... You've got a, a guy named Eli, and Eli is the, um, he's the judge, the last, basically, uh, judge before Samuel, and uh, he was a, a one who was in it for many, many years, I think it's around 50 years, and he was, they said he's grossly fat, is what it said, and he did not discipline his sons. And his sons were the ones who were supposed to take his place whenever he died. That's how it was in the Old Testament. But his sons decided that they would take advantage of their high and lofty place. And they began to commit adultery with the women who served at the, at the tabernacle there in the tent. And then they would take meat or all the offerings... That uh, was supposed to be offered to God, and the fat. Everybody say fat. Okay. Did you know that fat belongs to God? Did you know that uh, in the Old Testament all fat belonged to God? It's the sweet stuff. It is the it is the uh, that that thing that everybody. If you ever had a steak, you know you want a little fat in that thing, right? But here's the deal. They would boil it down, and they and they, the, all of the meat would be taken out without the fat, and that was to be for the priest, okay? What they would do, they would come down and stick a fork in that, in that vat, and they'd pull out the best pieces for themselves. Now, I want you to know, they were judged not because they committed adultery. They could, we were judged because they ate the fat. They, were, they ate what was offered to God. They ate what was dedicated to God. Now, that is a, that's a death sentence. Now, you don't want your children to consume upon themselves that which God says is His. And how are you going to keep them from doing that? You keep them from doing that by telling them what is holy and that which is good and that which is evil. And that God is a holy God. So they had no regard for God's holiness. As a result, a battle came uh, for the children of Israel, (coughs) and they sent out to Saul, they sent out the Ark of the Covenant, the holy uh, relic, you call it now, where God's presence was. They sent it out into the battle because surely we would win the battle if the Ark of the Covenant was with them. And so these two guys, Hophni and Phinehas, went with that that, uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant, and the Philistines... Killed 30,000 Israelites and took the Ark of the Covenant that day. And it was because they had so violated God's sanctuary. Whenever Eli heard about it, he went over backwards. He was so fat and so sedentary, he went over backwards and broke his neck and died. On the same day, uh, Phineas's wife, or Hophni's wife, had a baby, a little boy, and named him Ichabod, the glory has departed. The glory has departed. All because this man, here's the scripture, for I have told him about, uh, he's, this is about uh, Eli, for I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse upon on themselves and he did not rebuke them. He did not correct His children. It wasn't on them only. It was upon Eli because he refused as a parent to correct his children. Now, 1 Samuel 8, 3. We're talking about Samuel, the guy who replaced the great prophet. The great prophet who replaced Eli. And he's the one that prophesied this about Eli as a little boy. He prophesied it over Eli. You would think he wouldn't do the same thing. But what happened? about his children, Joel and Abiyah. And it said, it came about that when Samuel was old, that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now, the name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of the second was Abiyah. And they were judging in Beersheba. (coughs) His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gains and took bribes and preferred to judge justice. How, how did they wind up doing that? I'll guarantee you is because Samuel got too busy with ministry to take care of parenting. That's why they did that. 1 Kings chapter six, uh, 1, verse 6. David, great King David, you would think, with all the wisdom and all the grace and all the anointing he had in his life, that he would be able to take care of his family. But he didn't. And it says uh, he's already lost Absalom... And he lost the kingdom for a season because of Absalom's sin. One of his sons, Absalom, actually stole the kingdom from him. And he would not correct Absalom. But this one is about a second son. And it says in 1 Kings uh, uh, 1, 6, it says, His father, David, had never crossed him at any time by asking, Why have you done this? He was so very handsome. And he was born after Absalom. He was the second son. Adoniah was his name. You would think that great men of God, because they have done and accomplished great things, that ministers of the gospel preachers, TV preachers, and people who are famous, you would think they would raise their children up in the right way. Not necessarily. We've seen it over and over and over and over again, that if you neglect your children, I don't care who you are, how godly you are, how many miracles happened in your life, how wonderful you are as a... As a Christian, if you do not take care of, t- of parenting your children, if you do not prefer them, they will call you a hypocrite and walk in the ways of evil. And that, my friends, is the real challenge about being in ministry. Years ago when I went to ministry, I remember crying, actually going to God and just weeping. I said, God, please don't, don't call me. Please don't call me. I don't want my children to be preacher's kids. That was my main reason of saying, I don't want my kids to be preacher's kids. I did not want my kids to be like all the preacher's kids that I knew. And they all hated God. They all judged and and were critical of their mom and dad. And they all were walking in the ways of the world. Everyone I knew of. And I was so afraid. And I had to repent of that. And this is how God told me to reverse that trend. And That is to prefer my children over ministry. Now, get this. just I want you to know, those of you who are walking in the Lord, even if you're not in ministry, you can be so involved in doing the good works that you don't recognize what's going on with your kids' lives. Because they will see you at home doing one thing and see you in ministry doing another. And they will say, hypocrite. It's really important. When I came to Salisbury, North Carolina, my kids were very, very small. And there was an elder, uh, an old, old elder, who uh, one day, he came down the middle of the aisle. After I, I had asked everybody to sing happy birthday to my uh, six-year-old son, Joshua. Oh, I was, I, mean, I was so proud of Joshua. put him up there. And, and Joshua was just, yeah, you know, just, it was just great. And he wa- right after it, he walked up to me, that elder, and he poked me in the chest. And he said, how dare you prefer your children over everybody else in this house? You know what I did? I poked him in the chest, and I walked him right out the back door. <laughs> and I said, don't you ever come between me and my children. Don't you ever call me some kind of hypocrite because I have chosen to honor my kid on the day of his birth. Don't you ever do that. We allowed our children into the third circle. I see everything, Kay and I both see everything. The first circle is you and God. Nobody belongs in that circle but you and God. Second circle, you, God, and your wife or your husband. Nobody else, not your children. They don't belong in there. Third circle, you, your wife, God, and your children. Nobody else belongs in that circle. Do you understand? Don't get that screwed up. Oh, did I say that? Don't get that messed up. Don't get it backwards. It's important because every one of you are, are vying for the life and, and the future and, the, and the, the health of your kids that they might call on God themselves and they would walk in the ways of the Lord. None of my children are doing what I do the way I do it. I I said to them, I said, listen, uh, there is no heritage here. I'm not going to give you the church because I don't own it. I'm mine to give. I said, I do want you to seek God, what he wants you to do, and I'll be 100% behind you. But there is no heritage that says there is something I have, like a church or a ministry, to give to you. I'm not passing anything down to them except my love and then, and the grace to follow God. That's all. So I want you to see that for, for a minute and, and to know that discipline is the will of God. It's the worldview that you need to have. How many of you are tired of hearing me right now? <laughs> okay, good. Just stand up, turn around, and get down. You'll have the grace to know that everything's good. No, listen, everybody just stand up just for a moment. It's been a long morning. You know, get up on your toes or whatever, you know, do some rapture practice. <laughs> <laughs> The reason I'm saying this is because if you get too sedentary, it's been a long time, I'm here for a seminar, not, not, not to preach, so I, there's a lot of teaching, and I want you to be fresh to hear, okay? So turn to someone and just give them a holy hug and say, it's going to be all right, it won't be very much longer, okay? All right? won't be much longer. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I need a hug, brother. Give me a hug. Oh, <laughs> All right. Now that you've done that, taking your restroom break, it's okay. I told you it's going to be a morning of difficult things to hear and say. How many of, how many of you have had to submit to a, uh, uh, a correction? You know? Did it feel wonderful? Yeah, it's great. It is awesome. You know, I got whipped one time at school. Only once, though. You know why? Because the first time was enough. <laughs> I want you to know. Back in our day, my, my seventh grade biology teacher, I knew him. I used to go fishing with him. But, boy, he had his classroom. You didn't mess around in his classroom. So me and my cousin were wrestling in the, after the bell and we were just horsing around. And he'd come in here, Kinks, Atkinson, yeah, get outside. And I said, oh my gosh. And he went and he pulled out this long paddle, about that thick, with about 20 holes in it. He said, boys, y'all know what I say about calming down and not horsing around. And, you know, he had another word. Anyway, don't be doing that in my class. I said, okay, yeah, I heard you. No, no, no. Bend over and hold on to your ankles. I said, oh, my God. Wow. Whap, whap. And I was going, well, that was totally unnecessary. <laughs> now, I want you to know, I didn't bleed. I didn't have any bruises. But I want you to know, I was embarrassed. And he had my attention. From here to there, I still think of him with great respect (laughs) I really do I didn't hate him I didn't hate him and he didn't hate me but I want you to know something I never horsed around again in any of my classes I was a listener from that point when we are being disciplined what is our right proper attitude and that is one of humility And willingness to change, all right? That's what we need to teach our children. And it won't be easy because that's not natural. How many of you have had to chase your child down in order to uh, to discipline? I want you to know, don't do it. You stand there and make them come to you. Now, that's going to be difficult. But I guarantee you, that's what's needed. They need to know that their voice. You need to know their voice controlled. You Tell them to come to you. Then you explain to them what's going on. Let's look at the scriptures here. and What the scriptures many times. And some of you are looking at me like. You don't know my kid. <laughs> you wouldn't say that. You know. I do. All kids are the same. They all need a parent to stand his ground. Proverbs 29.15. Talks about the rod of reproof. The rod of reproof gives wisdom. But a child who gets on his, his own way brings shame to his mother. A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Now It's not always a, a whipping or a, a spanking. It's not always that kind of correction. As I said, some you know your child. Some kids, you could actually correct with your words because they, your voice is controlling them. But for the most part, at some point, Your child will need more than that. So, if it happens to be a need, a rod of correction. And I'm not talking two before with holes in it, by the way. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Proverbs 13, 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Why would you desire? You would never desire your son's death. But it says, really, if you don't discipline your child, you hate your child. If you don't discipline your child, you're actually asking for his death in a later time. Because he will make choices and live a life that will lead to death. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline remo- will remove it far from him. Proverbs 23, 14, 13 and 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Ephesians, New Testament, Ephesians 6, 6, 1-4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now that pulls it all together, doesn't it? it all together of why we would do this. And so that they might hear the instruction of the Lord, you bring quietness to their soul by bringing discipline to their body. It works every time. It's an amazing thing. And I'm not talking about beating your child. I'm talking about communicating your authority and your, and your mandate, really, to bring them up into the love and the admonition of the Lord. First Timothy 3, 4. It says... Talking about elders now. We're talking about men and women of God who are leading the church everywhere. He must be the one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Amen? Now, it's only one aspect of parenting, but it is a big one because today, today in our day, you actually are, are faced with a, law, a system that, of government that is leaning heavily on different, uh, uh, another worldview, not the biblical worldview about how to raise children. In fact, the government wants to own your children. In fact, that's what it says now in most of the new uh, uh, social programs and everything that, that basically you're not a good parent if you don't do what they tell you to do. Therefore, they have the right take your children from you or make them do something that you would never have them do. For instance accepting uh, or being a, an affirming and accepting church is what I'm being plied with all the time when I was pastoring in North Carolina the uh, the qlo you know that that thing that organization of uh, homosexuals and lesbians and they write me from time to time, and ask me. They're trying to trap me. They're, they're asking me, are you an affirming and accepting church or not? Because they're putting together a directory of churches where they know that their way of life is not going to be challenged. Okay. And so they publicly have parades. They have publicly have all kinds of things and materials God, uh, 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 geared to your children. To tell your children that that way of life is totally okay and it's legal, and if you say anything about it, you go to jail. Because you have hate speech. Somehow you're a bigot. Somehow you are someone who is evil because you have a biblical worldview. That is upon us today. It's not something in the future, it's upon us today. And I write back to them I said, All homosexuals and lesbians. And gender-confused people are welcome in our church. I always say that. And this is what they will hear. They will hear the love of God. They will hear hope for redemption. And they will hear the biblical worldview. Now, I didn't come against them. I don't come against them. But I offer them a way that God has ordained to be delivered be set free. Amen? Just like people who commit adultery, people who are doing drugs, people who steal, people who kill. They're welcome. This is what you're going to hear. You see what I mean? I respect all people. I don't care who you are. So respect actually is a higher calling than tolerance. Don't teach your children tolerance as much as you teach your children respect. Because respect actually elevates every human being. Tolerance says, I can just live with that. I don't. There's nothing I can do about it. Respect means, I honor you as a human being, as, a, as a, 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 a creation of God, and I'm here to effect change if you will let me. Bring Christ into the mix. Jesus respected all men. But he also called them You den of vipers. Go to jail for that here. Okay? You bigot, you racist, everything else, you know, you're going to be called that. When you are raising children, where they're going to call you, when you send them to a school that says they have to bring home homework, that tells them that, that my worldview and your worldview, your biblical worldview, is evil. It's bigoted. It's dark. They call good evil, and evil good. Now, thank you for, for giving me time to say some hard things, but I've got to tell you, I'm going to vindicate myself now. I didn't say any of this. It wasn't my idea. It was God. Amen? Amen. Who <laughs> was a, uh, what was the guy that, comedian back in the 60s, 70s, he said, the devil made me do it, you know? <laughs> well I want to tell you that God made me do it, Amen. I will blame it on him, but I bear these truths, and I say they are self-evident, and I say to you, I have great hope for your, your family, your future. If you do not, I ask you to come forward and let us pray for you and impart to you a new hope, a new calling, a fresh beginning. No matter where you are in your parenting, no matter how you were parented, I want you to leave today with shining hope. Anything that that does not shine and glisten with hope is not God. Let's pray. And if there's somebody who wants to play something or music at this time, that would be good. I'm good with or without, but I'll tell you what. It's kind of nice to have some sweet music on behind you when you're making big decisions. Amen.